Welcome to The Careful Photograph. I'm your host, Tara Krynak. This week, my guest is Nydia Blass, and together we will be taking a closer look at an untitled photograph from her new book, Revival, available for pre-order now over at Chris Graves Projects. There is also a special edition that comes with the signed print of the same photograph we discuss in today's episode. You can see Nydia's photograph and find links to more of her work on our website and Instagram accounts at thecarefulphotograph.com and at thecarefulphotograph. Nydia Blass is a photographer and educator from Ithaca, New York. She currently resides in Atlanta, Georgia, where she is an assistant professor of art and visual culture at Spelman College. She holds a BS from Ithaca College and an MFA from Syracuse University. In addition to teaching, Blass also works as a freelance photographer for clients such as the New York Times, The Atlantic, The Washington Post, and The New Yorker. She has completed residencies at Constance Saltonstall Foundation for the Arts and the Center for Photography Woodstock, and her work has been featured in The Huffington Post, Dazed and Confused Magazine, Strange Fire Collective, Refinery29, Hypoallergenic, PDN, and others. In a 1992 essay titled The Oppositional Gaze, Bell Hooks frames the politics of slavery and racialized power relations within the context of the historical denial of Black people's right to look. Hooks writes of how she was, quote, amazed at the first time I read in history classes that white slave owners punished enslaved Black people for looking. I wondered how this traumatic relationship to the gaze had informed Black parenting and Black spectatorship, and that all attempts to repress our Black people's right to gaze had produced in us an overwhelming longing to look, a rebellious desire, an oppositional gaze. By courageously looking, we defiantly declared, not only will I stare, I want my look to change reality. Nydia Blas's subjects look back. She achieves this by employing what she calls a black feminist lens in her photography. But her subjects don't merely look back. They also look at each other and at themselves, generating a space in which only they reside, a zone which Nydia describes as a magical one where reality is shifted, where black bodies that already carry the weight of history are free to be beautiful, experience pleasure, experience Black joy. In Nydia's photographs, the Black gaze is dynamic, operating as a site of resistance, a means to know the present and invent the future. In this episode of The Careful Photograph, we discuss the responsibility of the photographer when documenting the other in relation to systemic oppression and the ways her practice as a photographer in some ways stems from her position as a mother and her quote, absolute deep love for black folks, black bodies, and the fact that black folks are beautiful in a multitude of ways. I hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm here with Nydia Blass and we're talking about an untitled photograph and is it from a particular series? It is from a series called Revival. Revival. And I'm looking at the photograph on your the website, um, the Chris Graves 
projects because your book will be coming out very soon. And this is a print that you can actually purchase as a special edition, um, which I did, and I can't wait to get it. Um, but I, I thought this photograph, I always, I feel like I always pick photographs to talk about that are, that might be an anomaly. Um, this one feels really different to me than some of your other photographs. Um, it's just, it's brighter. It's the lighting is really different, I think in it. Um, and so I guess what I've, ask the artist to do is to first describe the photo because I'm already getting into the description of the photo but could you describe the photo to us yes okay um it's a photograph of a teenage girl and she has on a light pink dress and she's sitting at a round table that is in the middle sort of of these um kind of like a bay window uh open mm -hmm. on all sides like you said very bright mm -hmm. um it's a space for plants so there's a lot of plants surrounding her there's three chairs and she's sitting on the chair um to the right um she's sitting up pretty straight and her two hands are in front of her on the table there's a plant in the middle of the table that sort of extends almost um out of the top of the photograph Mm -hmm. It's a real, it's a very vertical image. Yes. Every, all the lines, there's a lot of lines pointing up. And I think one important fact is that there's a plant that is covering her face partially. That's my girl's face. And the plant that's covering her face, it, it almost looks like a vine. It's, it's from a plant that we don't actually see in the photo, it kind of is like almost like reaching into the photo from the side mm -hmm. um, and covering her face. But you can still see a bit of her eye. You can still you can see yeah. yeah. And her lip. You could still see her lip, her eyebrow, her eye, her mm -hmm. hair, her earring. And so, but she is looking through this leaf, all of these leaves that are kind of spread in front of her face. And she's not wearing any shoes, I noticed. Mm -hmm. The rug is also really interesting here because it's it looks like it's a red the the pattern on the rug looks really familiar to me but I can't place it. Yes. How would you describe that rug? Um I it's, I know it's some type of antique rug. Um, yeah, it looks antique. Yes, and that was one of the the fun places about this photograph and about the place where this photo was taken that I could talk more about too when we get into it. Sure. I, okay. So one of the reasons I also wanted to talk about this, I love photographs that, that take place in the domestic sphere. Mm -hmm. And it also just reminds me so much of um, Carrie Mae Weems's kitchen table series mm -hmm. and the kinds of narratives that can happen around a table and our own associations with tables. This doesn't look like it's a kitchen table. It looks more like almost like a breakfast nook or, or some mm -hmm. kind of place where people would go to drink tea. It looks very proper. <laughs> like the whole setting is very mysterious to me, um, very foreign to me. And I'm also wondering what kind of plants those are. The, the, it just looks grand and her dress sort of matches the situation as well. It looks very formal. The way her hands fold over is just really beautiful. And how I would say that this young woman is an adolescent. I guess mm -hmm. I would describe her as an adolescent. Um, she has beautiful brown skin and her hair looks also to be styled 
you know, and, and, and it looks like she's maybe wearing a headband yes. and pearl earrings. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So my first question about this image is, can you tell me about how it was made and the location that you chose for it? Of course. Um, so let's see. I think I made this photograph probably in about um, 2015 would be my guess. Okay. I made it uh, from 2013 to 2016. I was in graduate school at Syracuse University, and I was working on a body of work called The Girls Who Spun Gold. And I mm, made this. Yeah. Yes. And so this photograph. I love was, that series. Thank you. I made this photograph during that time, but it didn't really um, fit in with the aesthetic of that series. And so something that I have been doing is returning to a bunch of, of, of work and to my archive and really um, mm. sort of figuring that out, which has been nice to do because I knew there were so many pictures from that project. Um, and so uh, it was made during that time. And uh, something really exciting that sort of happened uh, was that there was a house. My friend uh, worked for a man who had actually passed away and she was taking care of his house. And so in this way, this house sort of functioned um, and I got permission to be able to make photographs in this house that still really had all of the things, you know, the the books, the furnishings, the plants. Right. Um, and I it felt like almost like a big dollhouse at the time. I could play in the house. And um, another photograph from the girls who spun gold, uh, the same young lady, Rasana, it's Rasana with the mirror and she's um, mm. sitting on a seat looking at herself in a mirror and it's in the same house. And so that's kind of my dream. I say all the time, like if I just had like a big house where I could play uh, like dollhouse all the time with costumes and people and, and really interested, like you said, in the interior um, domestic space, um, and yeah, so that's really when I made the photograph. That's the space that the, the house was in. I think I was drawn to this spot because of the light, because of the plants. Um, I tend to shoot a lot in interior or domestic spaces. And then um, in juxtaposition to that, I tend to shoot in a lot of green and lush spaces. So this photograph sort of brings those two things together. Um, yeah, I can say I don't know much about the plants though because I've only okay. <laughs> I've only recently been able to own a plant and keep it alive. Since <laughs> I love that. I mean, a lot of your photographs, and I think you've described them this way. There's something that takes you out of the ordinary and into a kind of magical space. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, this photograph, it's the plant. It's the way she's looking through that plant and the way that the plant is covering her face. That's kind of where I think I am taken out of this as a, you know, set up portrait and into a different space because it's so unusual. And I keep going back to why is this plant covering her face? What does it mean? What is she, why is she looking through this plant and there's something off about that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I, and I think for me, photographs that feel a bit off, um, I think mm -hmm. they do what you said, um, that you feel off. There's something more that you want to look at or investigate or know mm -hmm. or ask questions about. And I like that space in photographs. And I mm -hmm. feel that's where an image becomes really interesting and kind of sticky when you're left sort of in that spot where you want to look longer opposed to just move past it, opposed to if this plant wasn't covering her face, right? It'd be more easily read. We feel like we would have more access to her. We would see her looking back at us. Um, but I've been drawn, that was something 
something I was drawn to, I think, early on, um, probably when I was shooting like my thesis for undergrad, was sort of obstructing the face, obstructing mm. you. Something that I like to do in my work is to consider the way that a subject can be in their own space, considering that it's a photograph, considering that you're being looked at. And from there, once you're looked at by the viewer, are you looking back? Are you looking away? How are, are you confronting? Are they just gazing upon you? So I've always played with this notion of the ways that one, how can we confront the gaze? And then if we don't confront the gaze, how does that create sort of an interior space for the subject to reside with themselves? And so I think that obstructing that view kind of does that. It's like I'm denying you access to look at her fully, right? That, um, But she is also meeting your gaze. And in a way, I think that works as a type of protection. I love that strategy because it's often subtle in the work. In many of your photos, you're confronted with a subject who's also looking at themselves, but you're aware that they're also being looked at. Mm-hmm. And there is something here that feels really powerful with the subject in the interior space as well as that eye. It's just really powerful the way that you've set up the gaze in this photo. I'm curious about why this was an outtake. Um, I think for the girls who spun gold in a weird way, it feels sort of messy for me. Like those photographs were very still, very direct. Often the subject was like in the middle of the frame. It was a certain aesthetic that I felt like I was going for, where I wanted to control every aspect of the photograph. The Girls Who Spun Gold is probably definitely not the style that I've always made photographs in, but it was something that I kind of wanted to accomplish. And I just feel like for me, this photograph feels like a little too messy for that series. I think even like the depth of field, that on the left, there's like the flower pot that's sort of jutting out. There's a chair that almost looks like somebody could have been sitting in it in the front of the frame. Um, and so I think for that, it didn't really go. It might not have been in those other ways as strong or direct as some of those images are, even though there's lots to unpack in those. But I think I returned to it because I still thought that it was a powerful photo and I thought that it was a little bit more poetic. I feel like The Girls Who Spun Gold mm. um, is very direct and clear, or at least in the first layer of what those photographs are presenting. And then there's a lot more to sort of unravel there, depending upon who's doing the looking. And I always really like to shoot in natural light, but because I was making The Girls Who Spun Gold sort of year round, working in a crit um, situation. And, you know, that's often, you know, uh, working, you know, all the time. And so I had to make photos in the winter and I use some artificial light, but like natural light is, is my favorite. Can you talk about the layers of narrative in this work and how you use narrative more generally in your practice as well? Yeah. I love that you can see that, um, in this photograph, I think something that was interesting or important to me was this notion of my images maybe not having a specific reference to a specific time period, right? And that's often why my subjects won't have shoes on. I feel like oh, shoes, okay. yeah, shoes really tie us. It was like a rule that I had really early on and it took me a while to figure out why, but I was like, no shoes, no smiling. Like those are my two rules, like in my images. And yeah, it, I'm looking yeah. through the rest of them now and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, they're never wearing shoes. Yeah, and I didn't think I knew why at first. I just knew it was a rule. Um, 
And then later when I was thinking about it, I feel like shoes really anchor us to a specific time period. I'm interested in making photographs where there are not direct references, right? Like we might be able to like think about the dress or think about the table, but also that those things, like you said, they span different time. My interest in that just besides aesthetically um, is in the notion of time. I guess I'm really interested in the way that things repackage themselves um, in terms of time. And I, I think specifically in terms of uh, the way that oppression works and the ways that it repackages itself. Like we're still dealing today with issues that we've been dealing with for so many years, right? Hundreds of years, but they're just repackaged differently, right? Like it becomes at a certain time, it becomes um, not politically correct to uh, be outwardly racist or something like that. Or we use, we learn new terms to use, or we um, you know, we used to live in a system of uh, slavery and now we have a prison industrial complex that we are, you know, so we shift, right? So so notions and ideas and uh, the way that society functions, I don't, I don't believe that it really repairs itself. I think it shifts and I think oppression shifts in the way that it operates and it becomes trickier and e harder oftentimes for us to dissect until it sort of bursts open. So I say all that and that's crazy to think that that's all in a photograph, but the way that I work is really backwards. So I make things and then I've had to come and look at things and say, right, like, I play with time in this way and why. And so mm -hmm. that's really the interest or where that, I think that spark comes from. Right. I think that um, another thing that I'm hearing is this, the interest in the multi-temporal really also has to do with the ways that you are almost, you're empowering your subjects. They're in a different space. They're in a different time. They're timeless. They kind yeah. of defy time. Um, and I, I know that you've described your work as um, an allegorical space presented through a black feminine lens. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to hear more about the black feminine lens, because I just think that's so important to understanding your practice and also this photograph. Can you describe what is a black feminine lens? Yeah, I guess in the easiest way um, is that it is sort of the way that I see the world dependent upon my experiences, the ways that I have come to understand myself um, in a world that, you know, tells us all certain things about who we are. So, um, and the lens part, I think is really important because we all mm -hmm. have different things that we're interested in or different ways that we look at the world. And those ways that we look at the world are really dependent upon our lived experiences and the way that our lives play out and the things that happen to us. And I can only speak, you know, for America, but I know in the world in, in general are really dependent upon the bodies that we're born into. And I think for me really early on from a young age, I grew up in a predominantly white um, college town and I grew up with um, a mother um, that didn't really see race, as she says. And I feel like it really shaped who I am. She had a, a white mother and a black father. And out of all her siblings, she was the one that probably looked like the most that you could tell that she was black, right? Um, and, but 
probably had times or could also pass for white. And so that made a really interesting space for me because I didn't feel like I, I fit into that. I didn't look just, you know, like her or my skin was darker. And so I just noticed race like from a very young age. I just noticed how it played out. I noticed maybe how people didn't get treat different, treated the same. I noticed things that were said to me um, when I was younger. And so I feel like I developed this lens that was very much about noticing the way that race and gender play out in the world. I also um, ended up having my son when I was 18, which is crazy. He's almost 21. Oh my gosh. And so then also gender comes into play for me, being a woman, being a young mother, the way that I got treated. Um, and it wasn't until I returned to college after having my daughter and I eventually minored in African diaspora studies where I could start to put words to those experiences and develop mm. right that lens. So not only could I say I had this experience through education and my interest in academics, I could speak about those experiences. I could say historically, mm -hmm. black people have been treated this way because of X, Y, and Z, or historically women. So then that really empowered me because I could put history and academics and words that I couldn't before to my experiences. And then on top of that, to find photography and then find the way that photography could be used as a tool to talk about those experiences. So I really think our lens is dependent upon who we are um, and where we're born and what body we're born into. And that's kind of the way that we see the world because that shapes our experiences. You mentioned that you're a mother and I, I think that's really palpable in the work. Yeah. Would you agree with that? It's interesting because I've always been drawn to photograph children. Even when I first started making photographs in like seventh grade, I had nieces that I always helped take care of like babies. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I thought photography was really irresponsible when I became a mother. I started studying photography in seventh grade. I went away to college when I was 17 to study photography, then ended up coming back to have children and get married. Um, and then you know, returned to school. And I thought it was so irresponsible. Um, like I have a family now, how could I possibly build a career off of this until there was just one day, like where I had to make photos. I just had to, and I switched my major and got started on this really long track. So I say to that all to say that my kids have been like in part of my work in the past, but I think when I was making the girls who spun gold, I really wanted to interject the notion of motherhood. One of the, um, girls that I was working with, she had uh, her son when she was a senior in high school. And so I just thought it was an interesting and, and needed to be a part of the conversation. Because if we're going to talk about child, like girl, adolescent, you know, yeah. the woman, woman, then that mother, um, motherhood needs to be in there as well. The, yeah. The mother figure I feel is present almost in every photograph. I feel the present... Uh, I mean, there is a way that even in this photograph that I'm looking at, that it feels like she's behaving yes. <laughs> properly and as if her mother, she's aware of being looked at, but almost as if her mother could be looking at her. I like that. There's also this awareness almost of her own sexuality that I sense in the photograph. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it has to do with the posture, the posturing. Um, but also I would say just the, the bra strap. Yeah. Just that little, that little, yeah, that little detail that you let, you know, I, I don't know if that was on purpose, but it seems like everything in the photograph has a purpose. I was thinking about that a lot when during this time when I was mostly working on the girls who spun gold was, 
these very fine lines and um, the complicatedness of when we move from from girl to adolescent to woman, right? And that there's these very yes. fine lines. Like it becomes a time where it's inappropriate to not wear a bra, right? So I don't know if this is too personal, but I, when you said you have a son who's 21, I imagine that there's a difference then. I mean, it you raised your son before you had a daughter. So I'm wondering if when you photograph men, this is an obvious question, right? But I'm wondering what your answer to it is, is, is there a difference between photographing young women and photographing young men? And how would you describe that difference as a photographer yeah. or as a mother? <laughs> my, I guess my goal, if I could say that there was one thing that all my work is about, it's intimacy. And okay. so how do I get at that intimacy. I would say with women, it's an experience that I understand, especially these girls, because we grew up in the same place, you know, completely different times, but had so much in common, you know, literally on the same streets in the same physical places and buildings and schools. And, you know, and so I feel that that big connection is there, but there's always just something intimate that I'm wanting to get out. So how do I do that with men who might not always feel that they have the space to be as vulnerable or are experiences that I fully don't understand or experiences, you know, I may feel on the other side of as a woman, as a woman. I definitely think that there's probably a difference, but I feel like I want to, I feel like I want there not to be, like, I want to be able to figure (laughs) out how to make this work that I make with, with girls or with women, but also with men. And I think that's some, that interest has sort of grown and I've started, you know, making more images with boys and with, with men. There's such tenderness in the work. And I guess I, I want to hear you talk a little bit about tenderness and if that word at all has come up in your the way you think of your photographs or if other people have asked you about that. Um, I'm just kind of wondering about tenderness. Yeah, I think so. That tenderness. And I think there was a point where I was told in an interview for a big MFA program that Mm -hmm. my work was just beautiful or just had a tenderness. And I just found an Mm -hmm. old entry where I was like, so upset about that. (laughs) What? Like why? Like, no, we always remember the bad crits. I was like, if it only has that, like their needs, like, I think the tenderness is so important um, and, and unique and it's part of just like who I am, but it also needs something else to bump up against, I think is my thing. But I think that tenderness has to be there because we live in the world that we live in. And because, you know, the experiences specifically, you know, that everybody deals with, but then specifically marginalized folks deal with that there has to be some sort of tenderness. There has to be some magic. There has to be something that balances that out to keep people going and celebrating themselves. The other Mm. day I was eating I live in Atlanta. We're a little bit more open than the rest of the world, but I was like eating at this restaurant and I happened to like look up and I see this woman, she's walking by me, but I just looked up at her really quickly. And you know, when you have a quick glance with somebody, it can almost not be a a nice moment. Like it almost was like a, I had like a maybe evil look on my face, but she just walked by me. She was like, Hey sis, like, how are you? Like, how are you doing? And I was like, Oh, great. Like, you know, in a moment where something could have been misconstrued and those moments, like that little bit of tenderness was so important. Like I was talking about that for like three days. And like, (laughs) those are the things that somehow I want, or I try to make or 
into my images because those are just those little things that I remember. And those are the things that I want to reproduce in like the tiniest of ways. When I was like in grad school, there was this, the, this white young man in grad school and he would only go to neighborhoods where black folks live and he wanted to only take pictures of black folks. Those were the only pictures that he was showing in crit. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like photograph whatever you want. I don't think it's my position to tell somebody how to work or what yeah. to make work about or how to photograph or how to go about that. If you want to pay your subjects, like that's cool. That's how you're making photographs, interesting photographs. Yeah. But I, I felt where I struggled was the fact where I was like, okay, now if you're going to photograph black bodies and if you're going to photograph <laughs> black men, then you should at least it's your responsibility to know the history of what it means to be a black man. And then the history of the representation of a black man in, in that your photographs lie in this trajectory. I felt like that that was at least the responsibility. So I've, I've been thinking of, of the ways to say this. Um, if we, and I'm thinking, I guess, specifically in terms of a documentary photograph, if we know that this country, right, and this world has been set up in a way that, it, you know, disadvantages um, certain people, right, and I'm specifically speaking in black and white, because mm-hmm. that's my lens that I'm speaking mm-hmm. from right now. Mm-hmm. If we live in a country that uh, gives advantages to white folks and disadvantages black folks, right? And we're thinking in terms of a documentary sense. In that way, we can create a lot of images that are negative or perpetuate stereotypes in that way. So if I know that black folks are stereotypically marginalized or um, have been made to be poor in this country and um, live in neighborhoods, right? Oh my God, I'm really trying. Well, you're talking about systemic oppression. And what I'm saying is, what I'm really saying is you can go and document those spaces, right? Which are going to lead, like, right? Like I could go document drug addicts or something like that, right? Yes, All I'm doing is producing more photographs of black men or black women or 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 black suffering. Black suffering, right? And I don't want to make images of that. I want to make images that are a counter narrative to that. I want to create a new space for black women, black folks to reside, like a space that is about themselves, the space that is about the future, the space that is about you creating your own space and and having an internal dialogue and figuring out who you are and what you want to say. And I think- Yes. Yeah. These are power. I mean, there's power. You're talking about power in the yeah. image itself. We have to create our own documents, right? We can't be the documented. We have to create our own documents. And in this way, I think when you're talking about history and just the, all of the images that I can picture right now that are about black suffering and to have your photographs stand in defiance to those photographs. And I would say defiance because series after series, when I was looking through your work, there's a real persistence, a (laughs) persistence of, I think, joy and care. And I know I keep saying tenderness, but there's just a real persistence and the the kind of role of beauty that I know has probably been problematic in crits and like we remember all those crits, but it's so necessary to actually lean into that beauty. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about the role of beauty in your work. Yeah, I think beauty comes from a a few different places. Is one, just my immense love for Black folks and beauty and how I think 
uh, black folks are beautiful in a multitude of ways. I think that's one. And that's really the core of like where all of my work comes from, probably even before that intimacy factor. I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's one, but I think also too, in working with the girls, like, and I guess I'm thinking about physical beauty, um, Mm -hmm. and people, is something that I loved with working with them is like a lot of these girls were relatives and cousins and sisters and, and there was always, and all looked different. Like Rosanna's really small and petite. Um, other of the girls I photographed are, are thicker and, uh, dark skin, light skin, natural hair, mm. uh, braids, weave, you know, so many different, um, things. Mm. And I feel like they always were so good, even as teenagers at, at celebrating themselves or accepting themselves or saying, Oh, this, you have this one great quality, but I have this other great quality and we have these great qualities. And I was so touched by that and amazed by that because we also live in a world that teaches uh, women to compete against each other. Like who's prettier, who's that, you know, and most often it's for the attention of males or pleasing of males. And so I was just, that was something I wanted to do always in my work was to celebrate beauty sort of in that way. Um, yeah, you can really tell, I mean, there's so many body types, so many different skin color, hair color, like you're saying, and all of it is celebrated in the work. It really is. I, I didn't come across any photos that felt, exploitative or even though you're dealing with like nude bodies and where the models are touching one another quite often, Mm -hmm. they feel like you have trust that the subject trusts you as a photographer, that I'm allowed into this space because of you. Oftentimes people talk about like the power dynamics of a photograph, just as a photographer and kind of thinking about you know, students going out and making work, like you were talking about that young man wanting to go to these neighborhoods. And and there is a power, there's an outsider, insider dynamic to, to a lot of like documentary photographs. And mm-hmm. so there is a way in which like this photograph, given who you are, given your own identity and your own position, where it feels like this is coming from an insider, even though a lot of it just seems like you're working with strangers as well. Is the intimacy constructed or is it like, I guess, like, how do you get there with your portraits? How does that happen in a shoot? Yeah, I guess I would love to make a photograph of somebody I've known for years that feels just as intimate as a photograph of somebody that I've only known for half an hour. But I think my thing is, is there's always power in making a photograph and it's how you choose to use that power. And I think that that's functioned for me in a few different ways. Like one is I've had to learn to use my voice, right? To be comfortable with having the right to look. My students in class, Mm. in intro photo class, the first thing I give them to read is the oppositional gaze by bell hooks. And they read a little bit of that. And it talks about like the right to look and that historic Black folks have been denied this right to look. And I give that to them and like, why would I give this to you, right? And it's just right off the bat knowing that like about the power of looking and that that was something that was denied, you know, this gaze Mm -hmm. and that you have the right to look and, you know, and this is a space to to make images and to do that looking and to figure that, that that out and that there is power in that looking. And there's also power in looking back, like for your subjects. That's why I'm always talking about trying to things differently and shoot from here, have the subject look that you have the subject look away and like to play with those things. I'm not the kind of photographer that will just come and uh, like just, just tell you what to do. I feel like I come with an idea and then 
we usually work that idea out together. Like I would have maybe like a very basic thing or have part of the costume or part of the clothing. And then there were even times when I was photographing the girls that they would be the photographer and I would just sort of be looking on and they would set things up. And that way I think of my photographs as a collaboration, even when I feel like I'm just meeting somebody new and making their photograph. And I think, especially at the time when I was photographing the girls, I interjected and photographed myself in the same way. So it was important for me to make photographs that functioned in the same way and to turn the camera on myself and experience the ways that that made me uncomfortable, the ways that it was hard to mm-hmm. look at myself and, you know, sort of giving up some of my own power and to interject mm-hmm. those photos and have them, you know, work together with the, with the photos of the girls. Yeah. I love the way you ended with talking about how you give your intro to photo students that bell hooks essay on the oppositional gaze and that this history of being denied the right to look. I love that. And I'm wondering if you have a prompt for my students and our listeners that draws from your own practice that has to do with the oppositional gaze or your portrait practice. It's totally fine. I think I do have one. I I have great. um, I think that you know, especially when somebody's taking a new photo class or they're getting into art, you know, we think that we have to speak in a certain language or make something so fantastic. Or I think we get bogged down with so much and we forget yeah. that photography and art is supposed to be fun. Like that's at the <laughs> core why I started yeah. doing it. And we get so bogged down as, and if we move on with our studies and photography, like what does it mean that you have to know what it means and you have to be able to explain it. And those, yes, I'm, I am a big fan of academics and reading and research and making connections, but I want there to be some fun in photography. <laughs> and so I think for me, I would love for as a prompt to make a self portrait um, or something that represents yourself or who you are. So even a self portrait could not even have you in it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe, maybe, maybe specifically make a self portrait that doesn't have your likeness in it, but is a reflection of you. I think that would be great. And also uh, one of my professors, Andrea Parlato, gave us an assignment as part of her assignment. She asked us to make a photograph that we always wanted to make. And so I think that that's a great one too. And that I be- love that. I yeah. love those two. So, yeah. oh my gosh, make a photograph that you've always wanted to make. Yes. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, love that. Love that. Okay. Nidia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I'm sorry that um, it was so late, Um, but you know, I think we did good. I think we did good. I think we did good.